Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And again, I'm on my own with another episode taped at RWA in Atlanta in the middle of July. This is my last RWA dispatch, and I will be back with Jane next week discussing many, many, many things. But today I have an interview with Lisa Gardner, who is also an author under the name of Alicia Scott, she writes romantic suspense, and Aaron Galloway, who you heard from in an earlier podcast, set this interview up and said, I know you don't like romantic suspense, Sarah, which, true, I don't, but I think you'll really like this person, and I think this will be a great interview. And Aaron was right, so A, don't doubt Aaron, and B, I hope you enjoy this podcast. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. I hope that you are enjoying it. I'll have more information about who this is and what they're playing and where you can buy it at the end of the podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Berkeley Books, publisher of Carly Phillips' newest serendipity romance, Perfect Fling, which is available wherever books are sold. You can meet serendipity's finest, the irresistible and appealing policeman of small-town serendipity, and the stars of a sexy new romance series by best-selling author Carly Phillips. When assistant DA and town good girl Aaron Marsden meets ex-undercover agent Cole Sanders, Neither one can resist their off-the-charts chemistry, but she'll need him to be as good a bodyguard as he is a lover. Find out if Cole has what it takes in Perfect Fling, and you can buy that wherever books are sold. And now, on with the podcast. So my name is Lisa Gardner, mm-hmm. and it's a great pleasure to be here this afternoon. Thank you for coming. I have been a suspense and romantic suspense novelist for 25 years now. I actually started my first book when I was 17. I thought you were going to say, and I started my first book when I was five years old. <laughs> wow, 20 years is a really long time yeah. in the industry. Yeah, I have 30-something novels now. So You go. So I'm unique as an author because most people had a quote-unquote real job and then became a writer, where this is all I've ever done. You're very fortunate. Yes, and I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that it has gone well and readers and seem to love my books because I have no employable skills. This is it. So <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what I do now. So I'm really known as a number one New York Times best-selling suspense novelist, Lisa Gardner, but I started my career as Alicia Scott. I wrote 13 romantic suspense novels which are still near and dear to my heart. That's still one of my favorite genres to read. Right. As you and I were just discussing, I love both that sense of action and having both you know, external and internal tension. Yes. And that friction that comes when you're not just in a dangerous situation. But I think falling in love is one of the riskiest things any of us do. It's very threatening to your equilibrium. Even losing your autopilot, yeah. your daily routine is threatening. And I think near and dear to my heart growing up as a reader was always those great gothics where you were never sure maybe the person you should fear the most is that handsome stranger at the top of the darkened stairway who's also kind of cute yeah <laughs> i will i will confess as a novelist i'm still drawn to the bad boy the dark hero and he is <laughs> coming back the anti-hero right now is very hot i think there's a, a sort of a fascination with the with the way that the way that readers perceive heroes has changed yeah. over the past 10 to 15 years. Yeah. We've gone from knowing every hero's perspective and every heroine's perspective and now moving back towards only seeing one perspective and not yes. knowing if the other person really is a hero or heroine and yes. not really sure of their intentions and whether or not they are malevolent or but you know, hot and hunky and a suitable hero. Like We don't know. So I have coming out this summer yes. um, three Alicia Scott titles. It's a trilogy. Um, it is the Family Secrets Trilogy, mm-hmm. and there's an overarching secret that runs through all the books. It's really about three half-siblings. Right. They all share a very mysterious 
father mm -hmm. kind of helicoptered in and out of their lives, you know, kind of seduced their moms, had fame, fortune, money, but then kept disappearing mm -hmm. again. And one day when they were all still fairly young, he never came back. And so, they didn't know each other. No, their grandmother eventually brought them all together. That's their father's fascinating. mother. Because they were the only family each other would have. Right. So we have, you know, a half sister, two half brothers. They spent their summers together at the grandmother's farm. And to this day, they all have their different theories, but they've never known what has happened to their father, Max. So the first book of the trilogy, which comes out here in just a couple of weeks, it's Ooh. an August release. This is an intermix title, right? So these are digitally being released? They are both print and E. Fabulous. So it's called Maggie's Man. Excellent. And it's the first one. It is Maggie Farringer, and she has showed up for jury duty. And the kind of rumpled looking corrections officer down the hall um, actually pulls out a gun and takes her hostage. Oh my gosh. And it turns out um, he's actually an escaped murderer on the run. Clearly there was excellent job research before he was hired. <laughs> Good background check. No, he beat the security officer and took his Oh, beautiful. even better. <laughs> even better. That guy had a bad day. So his name is Kane. And Maggie ends up on the run with him. But she um, is a very soft, very nurturing personality. But he realizes quickly he's met his match. Right. She... Um, she can be so nurturing. I mean, even yeah. on the run, she, you know, she's like, I'll help, I'll drive, but there's all these things you cannot do and these things they cannot. And right. so it's a, it's a great action-oriented on the run book. You know, he is swearing he's innocent. He is very sexy, <laughs> but. It helps if you're innocent and sexy. Yes, it's I, I've always, a good as a reader, I've always preferred the innocent and sexy model. <laughs> I think that is a very good model. <laughs> yes, um, comes from a white supremacist family. That's very scary. So I grew up in Oregon. And um, so he's from Idaho. There was well, probably still is that kind of. Oh, there is in Pennsylvania where I grew up too. Y yes. So did some very interesting research for the novel and kind of the white supremacist movement. He grew up with a very paranoid father and all, you know, everything from, you know, the Zionist government has codes buried in the street signs. So you have to be careful of everything. Oh my gosh. So there is a lot of, he's rejected his family and his upbringing. And he was trying to really make something of himself when he found himself framed for murder. So now it's an on the run. They've got Maggie's family after them. They got his family after them. They have all the police officers in the state of Oregon after them. And she believes that he is innocent. She's not sure in the beginning, but it's one of those things as time goes on. But the real question becomes, how can you prove it? Right. It doesn't matter what you believe. Um, you know, what, what, what do you do next? Right. Because you, I mean, it was impulsive of him to break out of jail and it doesn't help his cause no, at all. No. So I like it. I've always liked novels. Most of the books I've written really take place in like 36 hours. It is that. That's kind of, a really intense timeline. Yes. I like How the, do you plot that sort of a timeline? Well, you know, in an on the run book, I mean, they just don't sleep at all. And it is every time they think they're going to have a moment to rest and recover, you know, Man, doesn't. the next right. development. And I like kind of the cat and mouse aspect, which mm -hmm. is here are the things. He's a smart guy, he's mm -hmm. a computer programmer. Um, here are the things he came up with to, he thought, help get free right but i always believe very strongly your police officers should be equally clever yes and this is how they have foreseen i like that <laughs> yes. it was very frustrating when you either have the most brilliant most macho most amazingly perfect law enforcement or military yes. office ever who yeah. he can't even get shot it doesn't hurt or yeah. you have the biggest idiot in the world running the case there's never any there's never any in between i've always considered a great suspense element should be cat and mouse you know the battle of wits yes so there but, should be two equally intelligent brains yeah. battling each other here but i think one of the things i really liked about maggie's man as a romance reader and writer working on it was they're the perfect foil 
for each other. You have, you know, this very cynical guy who's been raised not to trust anyone. Right. And you have this very warm, nurturing woman who, frankly, has been wronged a lot in her life, but has not seen it as any reason to give up her faith. Right. And if anything, is more determined to find family. Right. And given her father's various um, picadillos, if anything, is more expansive in right. her definition of family and can find the best in anyone and the ways they both challenge each other, but I think it's more convincing they complement each other. I yes. think by the end of the book, you see these are two people, they would be incomplete without each other. And they also balance on optimism and pessimism. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole optimism and pessimism. They both have, he, he is pessimistic, it yeah. sounds, but he has to be optimistic that he can actually pull off what he's attempting to do. Yes. I love those stories that when you're done reading them, it's not just the sexual tension and right. they're meant for each other, but it's like they feel like people you know them in real life, right? And in real life, they absolutely positively <laughs> would be together. They work together. Yes, they function together. And you're yeah. glad that they're complete together. Yeah, they create a team that's yes. more that's stronger than the sum of the parts. Right. And that's really what you know. We're all hoping to find. Of course. One of the things I struggle with when I read some romantic suspenses, I was yeah. telling you, is that often I feel that authors attempt to instill dramatic tension and emotional connection with the reader mm -hmm. by putting children in harm or peril yeah. or just killing them. Yeah. And that's something that yanks me out of a story. Yeah. Are there any children in peril? In Maggie's Man, there are not. Good. Good to know. Thank you. It's a pretty straightforward kidnapping book. In fact, it's <coughs> not a violent novel because it's an on-the-run novel. Right. They're novel. They're yeah. running. Yeah. Whatever. You know, there was a murder, but it happened in the past. Right. He's accused of um, killing his former girlfriend. Right. So now it's just a straightforward... How do we evade Run and cops and homicidal brothers? And <laughs> I hate when there's homicidal brothers, man. Such Especially a... ones who've been raised with rifles and are very good with them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a total bummer on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So what about the other books in the trilogy? So that's the first set of mm -hmm. the Family Secrets trilogy. Mm -hmm. The second one that comes out two months later, so October, I believe, and that's actually a former Rita finalist, Ooh. is um, McNamara's Woman. And you get some kind of similar themes. The, all, the whole series has to do with family. So that features CJ, who was probably of the siblings, the one closest to his father and the one most hurt mm -hmm. when their father just never came home again. Right. Um, and part of the overarching mystery is finding out what happened to the father. Exactly. And he's um, really has decided his father was probably doing something very evil. Right. Like covert or uh, not even covert um you know illegal <laughs> right and has kind of just let it be but he went on to become a marine now he's retired from the forces and he owns a bar right and he is kind of adopted this he will care easy going don't care about too much because right. you can't control life and this is what happens you're, right. you're an abandoned kid and your father abandons you too and yeah but, but definitely nurturing in his own way he likes to rescue lost causes you know he's still also trying to fix the world all these you know years later right and then enter Tamara, who, and it takes place in Sedona, Arizona, who lost her family to a car accident and having spent 10 years repairing her own body that was wrecked, right. is now back in town to find out it was a hit and run. Uh -huh. Who is it that took her family from her? Right. And very quickly, though she thinks she's being discreet and that no one will even remember who she is, all of a sudden her brake lines have been cut. Um, these things start happening. That's it's, weird. It's clear someone knows who she is. That she's digging for the truth. Right. And she is determined to be independent and trust no one. And CJ is determined that, you know, she could use a little assistance. Yeah. A little hero is never a wow. bad idea. And how it's a very lovely book, basically, and how he wins her over. <laughs> nice. So when were these originally written? I wrote these books 10 years ago. 
Um, they're actually based on the fact that my own brother and my cousin and I spent a lot of our summers on our grandparents' dairy farm in Tillamook, Oregon. Um, we had good parents, not that they were running around doing illegal activities, yeah. but they all worked way too much. <laughs> so you all hung out together. Yeah. That's I, very cool. And definitely one of the themes in the trilogy is that family can be a broader definition. Yes. You know, it bonded us. And like our grandparents, for all of us, will tell you we were especially close to and were special role models. And yep. in these books, they're always referring to their grandmother, Lydia, what she would have done and, you know, how she, the people she raised them to be, right. which aren't necessarily the same model their own father would have been. Yeah. I, I think one thing readers, especially romance readers, really value is the exploration of family yeah. that isn't just this the standard plot types of this yeah. is the bumbling absent father, this is the involved overbearing mother, that these are yeah. these are people who really do care and create good families. Yes. The books that I love have good families and, yes. and interesting families, especially as families assembled from roles that aren't always primary family members yes. and become family members. And definitely this is a trilogy that's about how these three half-siblings have really are there for each other. Yes. And have become each other's family because they're all they've got now. Yes. Now the third book in the trilogy very sadly just became very topical. Uh -huh. That's the last one. And it's uh, Brandon's Bride and Brandon's mm -hmm. the oldest of them. Mm -hmm. And he has spent the most time being obsessed with what happened to their father. Right. And he actually is a hotshot. Which, and very sadly, we just lost 19 of them. Yes, and he's actually, a fire jumper. Yes, they're, um, that's a smoke jumper that jumps into forest fires. Right. The hot shots hike in. The right. wildland forest fires. Even back then when I was writing romantic suspense, research has always been my favorite part of the process. Right, of course. So I spent a lot of quality time interviewing some of the hot shots. Oh, gosh. Because I am from Oregon. Right, and, and that's have, something you deal with annually. Yeah, and we and it's a huge crew. We have, we have a lot out. of trees. Yes. Well, mm. and the big forces of hot shots, what is it? Pine, Prineville, Oregon, but then they deploy all over the Northwest. Right. And um, interesting, one of the things I got to study and learn, and one of the things the book talks about a lot is blowouts, which is unfortunately how we very sadly just lost 19. In Arizona. And so off, what is a blowout? A blowout is when you get conditions where the wind generally picks up mm -hmm. very suddenly right. and with a lot of velocity. And when you get that amount of basically fuel of fresh air striking an already burning, burning fire, it can literally leap the fire like across streams. Uh -huh. um, the fire can really start moving basically at the same speed of a tornado. Right. You literally can't get out of the way fast. Run. Enough. Yeah. And it, it's when you take uh, conditions that looked one moment manageable and almost instantaneously they're over out of control. And that's almost always how we've lost crews of smoke jumpers and hot shots. And unfortunately, because everyone works together, when you have something like this happen, you generally lose the whole crew. You lose crew. the crew. One yes, of the, I know with the crew in Arizona, there's only one survivor. Yeah. Who I know must be absolutely devastated yeah. and also not and being family. left alone. Yeah. One of the things that was very fascinating to me, and this is what I love about research, is from an outsider's perspective, when you start talking to these hot shots or the smoke jumpers, right. there's somewhat a, I mean, these are adrenaline junkies, yeah. they're incredibly fit, these are outdoor people, right. they kind of somewhat expect this almost like dude yeah. kind of thing. And yet the science behind what they do, one of the things I got for Brandon's Bride that they recommended for me was the textbook the right. hot shots use. And they are literally at any given time, because their own lives are on the line, doing very complex calculations of fuel ratios of the shrub and the dead trees and the right. green trees and wind speed and heat temperature because all of that 
helps you predict what the fire is going to do next. And it's right next to you, so you have to think about what it's going to yes. do. Yes. So there basically are all these tables of information right. that they are memorizing, oh and goodness. then under extreme conditions and in the heat of the moment, them. constantly reevaluating wow. and reassessing and recalculating. So these are <laughs> adrenaline junkies who are extremely fit, extremely intelligent, and extremely yeah. quick. And their ability to be very smart under pressure. Yes. Like I remember my first job interview, I totally forgot how to do long division. They're like <laughs> asked me a question, I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> you know, in that stress of that moment. Wow. And teamwork and strategies, everyone does prepare for a blowout because that right. is the most dangerous situation. Right. But at the end of the day, it's nature. Yeah, and, and you, you can't can. always predict it. So the book was really amazing to write, and I think it's a really wonderful insider's view of the life of the hot shots. Mm -hmm. That is what Brandon has come into town to be. It's a seasonal job. Right. He stays at the ranch of a, a, a young um, widow mm -hmm. and her son mm -hmm. and slowly begins to really care about her which, you know, of course, threatens his mission that he's going to find out the truth once and for all about right. what happened to his father. Right. But I think it's it's definitely, of them, much stronger of just a, a very lovely, like, romance. Right. And how she starts, you know, she's been independent a long time, but actually really gets intrigued by this, you know, handsome hotshot. Yeah. <laughs> Who clearly has some demons of his own. And then, of course, builds to a rather crescendo of a fire right. sequence. So. And then you find out what happened to the father and you, you find do. The, the, yeah. the conclusion of the larger mystery. Yes, I'm a wow. big believe in resolution. I think we really I like that. suspense, romance, reading in general. Right. We want the answers we can't always get in everyday life. Yes, I agree <laughs> with you completely. Yes. Absolutely true. So if you wrote these 10 years ago, yes. as you were working to bring them to release now, yes. what changed that you had to readdress? What changed and what remained the same? Because there's a lot of differences in how we deal with people and how we yes. communicate in 10 years. Yes. So what are some of the changes that you had to make? And what are some of the things that were constant that didn't have to change? In the end, we had to make an editorial judgment mm -hmm. not to change them. I talked to other authors who created things 10 years later and they said inevitably you open up a can of worms. Right. What I had to do was write a letter in front of the trilogy and it was kind of funny and saying well you have to contemplate these things. 10 years ago when these books were written was pre-September 11. Yep. So um, you didn't really have cell phones. You could buy a plane ticket with cash. Yep. So it's like on the one hand it was much easier to be on the run. And it was much easier to be hard to find. Yes. On the other hand, you couldn't dial 911 at the drop of a hat. And yes. it wasn't GPS tracking. Right. So. And so you could you could drive and pay tolls with cash. You wouldn't yeah. have a, an yeah. easy pass tracker. You know, yeah. there's no GPS. There's no way to find yes. you. And really, the phone, the, one of the biggest things that really stands out in the books now versus how we live is the lack of cell phones. Of course. No one's picking up. No one's answering you. People are not reachable. Yeah. And that is something that happens. They're just not reachable. Yes. So that, that creates a completely different environment. Yeah, you have to give some of the context for the reader. Oh, absolutely. But on the other hand, you couldn't believably go back in without fundamentally changing. Right, because then that would that would change every bit about their chase in yeah. the first book. Yeah, when I start talking to other authors, they're like, it just, it creates more problems than it solves. I mean, the book works for its time period, and you're better off just giving the context. Right, of course. Because otherwise you would, to account for today's technology and the things you can and cannot do, you would have to just re-plot re the entire novel. You have to novel. do the whole thing. Yeah. One of the things I love as a suspense novelist, because I'm continuing to write as Lisa Gardner, and I have my latest novel out in January right. called Fear Nothing, is that technology is changing all the time. Oh, my goodness, yes. And the things I do have to keep track of, like they just had a great case yesterday where they, New York, text messaged an Amber Alert at 4 in the morning to all these New Yorkers, which did result 
and the finding of a seven-month-old baby that had been abducted. Though a lot of New Yorkers apparently mad because they didn't want a 4 a.m. text wow. message. But it was the first time an Amber Alert had been deployed to text, text. message, and we're going to see more and more of that. And it was because they got a license plate. And they're like, even a police, even a toll, can only, there's only so much manpower. But if right. you can text every person in New York to look for this license plate, imagine the sudden boots them. on the ground. Yes. And sure enough. <laughs> Somebody does. Yeah. Well, it, it sort of relies on the idea that nine times out of ten, people do want to help. People yes. do want to do the right thing. Yeah. And if someone's baby is missing, no one is going to say, yeah, I don't really care. There's, it's very hard to find the person who's like, yeah, I don't care. I can understand the person who's like, why the hell did you text me at four in the morning? Yeah. But I, I would forgive that. I'd be all right yeah. with that. And it is this very interesting thing, too, now where you can run and you cannot hide. I mean, if, you, it's if the, really hard to go if off the, the grid. the population itself can be mobilized with the touch of a single central button that means to that look for you. One person can be targeted with the yeah. touch of a single button. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me when I think about if I go running, yeah. I have an app called RunKeeper. Yep. And it tracks, using GPS satellite technology, it tracks my route. Now, it gives me information. Like, this is where you went, and this is how fast you were going, and this is the time of your first mile, and this is the time of your second mile, and this yeah. is your change in elevation, and this yeah. is your change in speed, and here's a map, yeah. and here's the personal record that you did. So it gives me all this data. Yeah. But I can also live broadcast my location. Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking, you know, I know that the trade is that I'm getting information. Yeah. But I am imminently findable because I have I have acknowledged that I want to be tracked at this moment. And I could also live broadcast to my husband, this is where I am if I'm going for a run yeah. in a place where I've never been before. This is where I am. And I, I remember in college, I would go out with someone who I didn't know very well, and I would leave a message on my own answering machine. Yes. I'm leaving. It's 10 o'clock. This yeah. is where I'm going, and this is when I should be back, and this yeah. is who I'm with. Yeah. And I didn't have a cell phone, so yeah. I had to leave a message for myself or anyone who might have been looking for yeah. me. Tech now, yeah. I'm always reachable. No, technology is both, I think, the best and worst thing that ever happened with us. Yes. As a suspense novelist, I have a book out now, Catch Me, which was just a finalist for Best Thriller of the Year Award. Congratulations. Talking about this whole aspect of how anytime you post or Facebook, unless you, you really paid attention to your settings, you are often broadcasting where you are. Yes. And how that can be used to stalk you know, yes. women, children. Yes. And, this is something I think about a lot. And that there's a level of, we have made technology mundane, and therefore we have a tendency to think of it as harmless. But the default is to share, and that share can be used very we're, easily. We're often giving away much more information about ourselves. Than and even think. if you're a parent like I am, and you've been raised already for 10 years, have a central computer, don't let your child log online without you. I mean, my child's inheriting a phone world. Yep. What central computer? Yep. I mean, our phones are computers. Yep. So as fast as and we they come, get cell phones younger and younger. Yeah. So as fast as we come up with security protocols or family behaviors mm -hmm. or this is what you can do to protect yourself, it you know, changes. within twelve months the technology has made that obsolete as well. One of the things that my kids are five and seven. Yeah. And so they're not really old enough to be on the internet without yeah. me. They have sites that they're allowed to go to, but they're always in the kitchen. They don't have a computer in their room or anything. And they know what I do. They know I run a website. They know what Facebook is. Yeah. They know what Twitter is. Yeah. And they they know that part of my job is to talk to strangers online. Yeah. And that the rule that I give them is that you should not, not that you should never talk to strangers, but that you should never go anywhere with a stranger that you yeah. don't know. We have a family passcode. Yeah. Like if some absolutely that's if great someone planning. is going with you, yeah. if someone has said you need to come with me, they will know our password. And you cannot tell anyone the password, but if they don't know it, you do not go with yeah. them. And you can say no to a grown-up in that situation. And if you think that something is wrong, scream, yell, make a mess, run yeah. away, and I don't care. It's fine. 
but with the internet it's really hard because they know that's what I do is my job and yeah. it's a good thing it's not a scary thing it's a place where I like to talk to people and yeah. I like to do things one of the things that I think about is someday my kids are gonna go online and my my policy for myself is that I don't tweet their real names I don't post yes. their real names and on my Facebook profile for this associated with the website I don't talk about my children I have yeah. a private one but that's something that's just for family that yeah. will actually know me people yeah. who actually like went to school with me not only is it my job to keep them offline as long as possible until they are old enough to understand yeah. the consequences of their communication, but also to not create an identity for them before they arrive. Yeah. And that they should have the opportunity to create their own online identity because it is a, an amazing tool yes. to reach people. I can talk to people all over the world anytime. Yeah. I, I tend to look at the, at the internet as this wonderful opportunity to yes. connect with people. And like you said, I, I have to also remember the potential for harm, yes. especially where my kids are concerned. Yeah. And it, it makes it a much more difficult negotiation as a parent to yes. figure out how much access you want to give somebody. Yes. And then you think about how much you're giving away about yourself. Yes. And it's scary. Mm -hmm. It's very scary. And it's ripe for thriller writing. Yes. My daughter's school, I think, does a really wonderful thing where they constantly evaluate the information they find. Like they... they analyze sites for accuracy because the other thing I think especially as a novelist as both you know as a suspense novelist it's amazing for me to be able to go online and instantly research things oh of course but there's no way of vetting the internet it just right. is is the information just, good or bad you have to rely on your own and I think teaching our children early on and reminding ourselves to be skeptical I mean just understand that that there's no vetting on the internet. Nope. You don't know if that person is who they say they are. You don't yes. know if that information yes. is as genuine you as it purports to be. Right. So just take it all with a grain of salt. Very large grain of salt. And this is why I think people will continue to love romance novels, which good and straightforward and there's resolution. Yes. And at and the, the end of our with, very complicated lives. Yes, the people with <laughs> bad intention get it in the end. Yes. You know, bad intentions I are think never rewarded. absolutely part of the contract. I think if you have a, a suspense element in your novel at all, you are looking for it should be you know good triumphs over evil yes and, and then the, we can close our novel and sleep well at night yes <laughs> bad yes. people have gotten what's coming yeah. to them yeah there is no bad ending for a good person so if readers are interested in checking out some romantic suspense I yes they enjoy the alicia scott family secrets trilogy awesome. which will be available starting in like two weeks oh that's very exciting and then for suspense readers if they'd like to return in january i have as lisa gardner fear nothing which is the next Dee Dee Warren installment where she's injured, my Boston detective not on the job and yet still tracking a serial killer. <laughs> she's busy. Yeah, well, you know, once you're injured, you got nothing better to do yeah, than sitting on the just, sofa. <laughs> just rear window yourself. Yeah, all yeah, long. yeah, yeah. That's excellent. And that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you to Lisa Gardner for sitting down with me at RWA to do this uh, interview in the lounge where it was a little loud. I hope you could distinguish our voices from the many conversations in the background. Someday I'm going to go to RWA and I'm just going to have this big old soundproof booth and I'm going to walk around with it and um, then no one will talk to me because I'll be walking around in a booth. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. This is by Three Mile Stone. And this is a song we've featured before. This is called Snug in the Blanket. I have information about them and this song on the website when the podcast is listed. And finally, this podcast is proudly sponsored by Penguin, and they have things they'd like me to tell you about because awesome.
This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of cutting-edge romances like Ronnie Lauren's all-new serial e-novel, Not Until You. July just got eight times sexier. Available this month in eight irresistible chapters, Ronnie Lauren's Not Until You is the ebook everyone will be talking about. On the night of her graduation, innocent veterinary student Sela thinks she's earned a wild night before she has to move back home under the watchful gaze of her family. But what starts out as a simple game takes a very sensual turn. Ian Foster is tired of playing games with his membership to the ranch, an exclusive BDSM resort. His need for dominance is no longer satisfied by one-night stands. He craves the full surrender of one woman, a submissive of his own. But when his quiet, sweet as sugar neighbor shows up at their door with a bottle of tequila and an invitation, Foster decides he and his friend Pike may have time for one more fling. You can find Ronnie Lauren's Not Until You wherever ebooks are sold. It'll be a serial and then probably released as one standalone novel, so you can go for your choice of formats. If you would like to email us or make suggestions or have questions or want to respond to something you've heard, you can totally do that because we love when that happens. Our email address is sbjpodcast. Say it with me now. It's S for Sarah, B for bitches, J for Jane podcast at gmail.com. And seriously, we love email, so you can send us some, and it would be awesome. You can also leave us a message at our Google Voice number, which is 1201371DBSA. Don't forget to give us a name and where you're calling from so we can include your message into an upcoming podcast. And seriously, we really, really like hearing from you. Future episodes are going to include me reading Jane another quiz because I'm mean like that. And if you have any suggestions, let us have it. Until then, Jane and I wish you the very, very best of reading. <laughs>